Bruce Shapiro joins us. He is contributing editor with The Nation magazine, executive director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Bruce, hello. Hello, Jonathan. Wonderful to be here. For those of us who were buoyed momentarily by that that moral boost from the midterms, there was a corrective overnight, another targeted attack on an LGBTQ nightclub, this time in in Colorado Springs, I mean, it's a reminder, is it not, Bruce, of that undercurrent of, of, of hate, violence, guns in the United States? Well, yes, and at a time when there is a, a mass shooting virtually every week, and this followed hard on the heels of an equally appalling massacre of three uh, college students at the University of Virginia by one of their classmates. You know, Colorado Springs in in particular, but but UVA too, remind us first of all simply that the the great wound of America has so much to do with the wounding capacity of guns and just mm. how much gun violence is shaping our country. You know, the Republican Party leading into the election had tried to weaponize fear of crime, but the fear that people have is of of random gun violence in safe environs. In the case of of Colorado Springs, you're talking about a drag show at a beloved community institution. And I do want to say that this speaks too to the complexity of of America. Um, People think of Colorado Springs often as a pretty conservative place. The Air Force Academy is there. It produced, uh, it elected Lauren Boebert, one of the more Trumpy of the Trumpy uh, members of Congress. Uh, she narrowly won her seat again this time. Um, and she herself has been a leading voice for anti LGBTQ um, politics. And yet, here is this Club Q, which prior to the attack was renowned around the state as a, a welcoming community center. And indeed, if you read the accounts of the drag show and the events that happened, when the gunmen started shooting, you find that there were all kinds of folks there. There was a Viet, uh, an Iraq and Afghanistan a war vet who, who took down the gunmen. There was a drag queen who participated in the melee, helping subdue the suspect. Um, mm-hmm. It's a complicated story, even as it's about appalling, targeted violence at a time when we have seen other targeted violence against LGBTQ institutions and also targeted violence against synagogues. Just last week in New York City, um, two men were arrested by the NYPD, evidently planning to attack a synagogue in the city. There's a lot going on that the election didn't touch, and that's what we're yes. kind of thinking about right D- now. Despite its, its, its momentary sense of reassurance that at least democracy itself was... I was, going, I was about well, to say well, in, well, the, in the gun, Bruce, but that would be entirely inappropriate. Well, <laughs> well no, but, but indeed, I mean, look, <laughs> and look, this is, you know, the civility of the election, not just the result, but yes, the relative yeah. civility of it, has given a lot of just reassurance. And we're going into the next year with um, the Biden administration in the strongest position of any uh, midterm White House in many, many, many years. So this is, you know, it's a time when you usually lose momentum here, they've gained momentum. 
we'll have to see where it goes. But the reassurance is still there. But the, the fact is that the disquieting theme of violence, which has been echoing back and forth around the country in various ways and got expressed in one way on January 6th, mm. 2021, got expressed a different way in Colorado Springs the other night. January 6th, of course, brings us to mind Donald Trump, who on, on the heels of those midterms, which which perhaps showed that, that his moment is is fading, announces his intent to run in, in it, 2024. Surprising no one, okay. Um, no, and no it, that's it was, fair to say. <laughs> it, it was quite striking to see the uh, lack of moment that uh, many uh, news outlets were. <laughs> showed in Fox, in Fox News cut away mid-speech. <laughs> well, and that's the remarkable thing is Fox News cut away mid-speech and even more remarkable that the New York Post buried the announcement on page 26 hmm. and put a quite pointed headline on the front page, Florida man announces intentions or something like that. I mean, it was, it was a really, you know, what we've got at, at, at least at the moment. Area man are, runs. Are, yeah. I mean, you know, what we have at least at the moment are a host of, of Republican establishment figures hoping that Trump does not survive the primaries, hoping that the energy is gone, and indeed articulating. Uh, we, we had Paul Ryan, uh, former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, saying yesterday that he, he, he is declaring himself a former Trumper, not a never-Trumper, but a former hmm. Trumper, saying, trying to sort of um, slice, slice and dice the politics by saying he was proud of everything accomplished uh, during the Trump administration, but he feels Trump can't win elections and has shown that three times in a row. I'm a bit of an agnostic on the staying power of this Republican, this new Republican resistance to Trump, in, in, in part because if you go back to 2016, the reason Trump was able to seize the nomination in the first place was because of a kind of intellectual and leadership vacuum in the Republican Party. The ideas of Reagan, Reaganism were um, fading in the in the face of massive inequality. The ideas of national security republicanism were fading in the wake of the Iraq war, etc. So all that was left to do was mobilize resentment and Trump mobilizes resentment better than anybody. Those contradictions haven't disappeared. Hmm. The Republican Party doesn't have anything it stands for. It stands against. And as long as that's what's on offer, um, once you get to primaries, Trump still has a lot of staying power and none of the people who are making noises about running like Nikki Haley or, or Ron DeSantis come with Trump's natural constituency. So, you know, we'll see whether this represents newfound Republican courage for the civic order or simply hope that the guy can be pushed off to an iceberg somewhere. That'll always be tested by weight of numbers, won't it? And I mean, it's, as soon as we see whether the base, who was it, seventy-five million people who voted for him in yeah. in, in twenty sixteen, yeah. whether yeah. they now, are still have a solid. harder time. You know, he'll have a harder time raising money, uh, at least early mm. on. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he may well not survive unindicted. Um, you know, we have a new special counsel appointed by the Justice Department, who's a 
career prosecutor, Jack Smith, who is uh, famous for working fast and who more recently, I mean, led a public integrity unit at the Justice Department and who more recently was at the the International Criminal Court in The Hague. What, what's the bringing, significance of significance of his appointment? I mean, that's, he's, a, he's a, a hard hitter. Yeah, he is a hard hitter. And, and don't forget, his job in The Hague was to bring heads of state to justice. Um, <laughs> so, he, you know, he's not scared, right? Attorney General Merrick Garland did not really want to do this, but he's a very by-the-book guy, and he felt, I, I think you can take Garland at his word, that once both Trump announced and President Biden declared not his official decision, but his general intention to run. Mm. That combination of things led the Justice Department, led Attorney General Garland to say, let's have a special counsel. Under the Justice Department regulations, a special counsel operates independently of the appointed, the presidentially appointed U.S. attorneys. Takes it out of politics. Takes it somewhat out of politics. The Attorney General will still have to approve any indictments, but they're also, if the attorney general declines the recommendations of the council, uh, that has to be reported to Congress and there has to be explanations. So this is a little different from the last couple of special counsels. We had Robert Mueller, of course, who um, didn't decline to make recommendations finally. And that gave Trump's attorney general a way to wiggle out of any real indictments on the Russia-Ukraine thing. And then Trump himself appointed John Durham to investigate, God only knows what, um, (laughs) to investigate the investigations, to investigate FBI collusions. And that went absolutely nowhere. I think there's been one indictment in the whole time Durham has been in operation. Jack Smith is a different character. He's aggressive. His career is built around holding politicians to account. Uh, and that means, and he's supposed to be fast, and I think that means this may accelerate rather than slow down decision-making. Fast is significant, of course, because, I mean, you would, you would want an outcome, would you not, before the, the primary process is concluded? Well, it's supposed to be a separate track, but there is a window of opportunity. And they, don't forget, there's two investigations. There's the January 6th and the you know, a, attempt to usurp the political process. Mm. But then there is the matter of all those classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Yep. And that one may move faster, right? And on that one, the facts are pretty clear, are pretty well known. The president mm. hold on, mm. held on to a whole lot of stuff that he shouldn't have held on to and did so in defiance of subpoena, seems to have misled federal officials and even his own lawyers about what he had. And that may give, kind of like Al Capone with uh, income taxes, right, getting Al Capone (laughs) on income taxes, that may give the new special counsel a lever to move rather quickly. Uh, Very apt (laughs) comparison between the two, Bruce. We we shall see. Thank you, Um, Donald Trump, running for the moment, but uh, running, running from the law perhaps as well. We'll see how it turns out. Bruce Shapiro, he's executive director the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University.